0: Four week, possibly four week series on uh, the person and the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. And uh, so excited for this morning, been so excited for this series. Um, and I pray that you have been looking forward to what God has for you this morning. Um, I truly believe every time we open the Word of God, every time we expose ourselves to the Word of God, God desires that we change. God desires that he can speak into our lives, that he might conform us more to the image of Christ. And so we are so thankful for that opportunity this morning. Uh, What a great morning of worship as well, Uh, moving through the music. And uh, we know worship is not just singing before the message starts. Worship is the preaching of God's word. Worship is the application of God's word. Worship is the offering. Worship is the fellowship that we took part in this morning, encouraging one another with a handshake and a smile and letting someone know maybe we're praying for him. And so all of that we've done this morning is to worship him. And I'm so thankful for this opportunity. That last song that we just sang, I pray that you were not just reading the words on the screen, but I pray that the truth of those lyrics We're impacting you at a deeper level because there's so much truth in that song that we just sang. Uh, Man, all that God had done and it has done and continues to do through salvation is such a wonderful thing to praise him for. And I pray that we're doing that this morning. Our goal in this series is to discover that victory in this life comes through faith in God and obedience to his word. That's our theme for the series through Joshua. That victory comes through faith in God and obedience to his word. And those two things go hand in hand. When we are in God's word, exposing ourselves to God's word consistently and allowing God's word to speak to us, it will grow and strengthen our faith. How is it that in 2022, with everything going on around us, how can we have strong and courageous faith? Well, the answer is quite simple, quite clear. And I know you might be thinking, well, why are we spending four weeks unpacking this? We're going to look at different aspects of this. But the simplicity of it is that victory, that victory in having strong and courageous faith comes through faith in God and obedience to his word. Let me just also remind us those two things, to see those things in our lives, we have to desperately cry out for grace. To have faith in him, we need him to work in us. To have obedience to his word, we need him to work in us. We need him to strengthen us. We need his spirit to give us grace and understanding so that we might grow in those areas. We've already learned. And if you missed uh, the previous two weeks, we encourage you, you can go online, org. You can go on our app, North Garden BC, in your app store. All of the messages are there. You can go back and, and watch the first two weeks. But we've already learned in the first two messages that Joshua was a consistent and faithful leader. He was not a perfect leader because there's no such thing. He was a faithful and consistent leader leader. What led to him being faithful and consistent in his leadership before the nation of Israel was consistent time in the word and being comforted by the promise that God is with him. Consistent time in the word of God and being comforted that God is with him. So I shared this the first week. I shared it again last week. I'll share it again this week. We are leaders right where God has planted us. You may not see yourself as a leader. You may not think of yourself as a leader. You might think, well, I'm just working this job. I'm just doing the nine to five, or I'm a stay at home mom, or I don't really have, you know, a large group of people that I oversee. So I don't really think of myself as a leader. No, no, no. The reality is from the high school students in here to the oldest adults in the room, no matter where God has planted you in this season of your life right now, you are leading someone and called to lead someone. Now, that someone may be two, three, four years old in your home, or that may be a group of people in your employment that you oversee for work. However God has planted you, you are called to lead. And how do we lead consistently and faithfully as followers of Christ? Commitment to God's word and comfort by the reality that God is with us. Didn't Jesus say that I will be with you until the end of the world, the end of the age? Didn't Jesus say, I will never leave you or forsake you? And you might say, I, I've heard that before. Well, here's the key. Here's the catch. Do you know how we grow comforted more and more through that promise of him being with us? By spending time in his word consistently. Isn't it amazing how God set this up? Spend time in his word and he'll comfort and strengthen you as you go day to day in this life. Ignore God's word day to day in your life and you will grow restless and stressed and overwhelmed and the day and age we live in today, there is so much craziness going on. And so how do we avoid falling victim to this mindset of the sky is falling and we might as well just shut the doors and just hunker down because it's never going to get any better. How do we avoid that? Well, we said it this last week in our men's Bible study, we have an eternal focus, not a temporal focus. We think eternally. You know why? Because we are made for eternity. And in Jesus Christ, you will be with him forever. You will spend time with him for all of eternity, worshiping him and praising him. So how do we grow comforted by those realities? Consistent time in God's word. And through that, God will strengthen us as leaders. Again, does this mean we will never stumble? We'll never fall, we'll never fail? No, we're human and we all are temptable and tempted every single day. But the way we grow victory and have victory in our lives and grow successful in those things Is through time in God's word and comfort by the reality that by his spirit, he is with us. Last week, we continued this idea by talking about the reality that God uses the unexpected for his will. That God uses the unexpected for his will. We looked at the example in Joshua of Rahab the harlot or Rahab the prostitute. And we said that that name that is attached to Rahab, even in the book of James, even in the book of Hebrews, is not intended to degrade her or put her down or shame her. I truly believe it is a reminder for all of us of who we are before Christ and who we are in and after Christ. You see, we all have a past. We all have things that we regret. Some of us, you have past mistakes that you regret, and it was yesterday yesterday. And we start to believe this lie that we can't be used of God because look what I've done. Look who I haven't been. I'm not I shouldn't act like that. Well, we repent. We turn from that sin and we surrender and we say, "God, I know that was wrong. I repent of that. Would you fill me with your grace? Restore me and allow me to be used for your glory." You see, don't believe the lie of the enemy that because you've stumbled in some way that now you're unusable. Our God loves taking perfectly imperfect vessels. Human beings that are perfectly imperfect and using them for his glory. He, he receives glory in that. Because at the end of the day, when you do something for Christ, when you, when you see God move in a way and you're used in a way, whether it be to bless somebody financially, serve someone, pray for someone, share the gospel with someone, and they come to Christ, or you see this thing happen in their life, and they come to you and say, man, thank you so much for being who you are. Thank you for all that you've done. You know how imperfect you are. And so what do you do? You say, all glory to God. Because it wasn't me, it wasn't my strength, my ability. And some people say, well, yeah, but I I worked hard for that money. Well, you only went to work because God gave you the physical strength to go to work and the breath in your lungs, the intelligence in your mind to do what you do for a living. So, all glory to God. So, see, we can ultimately praise him even though we are imperfect because he uses perfectly imperfect vessels for his honor. We are saved by his grace. We are kept... By his grace. And we live by his grace. Which also means we serve him because of grace. And we serve others because of the grace that we've received. Which means all that we do for Christ is to the glory of God alone. Not to our glory, but to his. This morning we are moving through the book of Joshua. And we're going to discover not only does God use the unexpected. We talked about that last week. But now we're going to discover that God does the unexpected, that God does the unexpected. To set up the text that we're going to be diving into in just a few moments, uh, I want to share uh, an illustration with you, a video with you. Um, It's a powerful video, and I pray that it will really speak to your heart and to your mind. I pray that it will impact you and encourage you and, and allow you to really see the reality of what we're going to look at this morning. So I pray that this, it's kind of a heavy, kind of a serious video. So I want to set it up that way. But I pray that it really speaks into your heart and mind. So, watch this video and then we'll talk more about how God does the unexpected. Did you hear something, Jean Claude? Mais oui, Philly, I think someone has bumped our wall. Who are you? Who are we? I think we should ask. Who are you? Oh, um, I am Joshua, and these are the children of Israel. Oh, hello, children. Hi. It was nice to meet you. Now go away. Yes. <clears throat> no, you don't understand. God has given us this land for our new home. So, well, you're going to have to leave. Oh, ho, ho, ho. did you hear that Jean-Claude? The little big we have to leave. I'm a cucumber. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> 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 Let me point something out to you, Dicker. we have a role. <laughs> you do not. No. If anyone is to be doing the leaving, it will be you. Oh, that is right. Now, listen to me. Our God said that this land was ours, and that all we had to do was follow His directions. So, I'm afraid... If you don't come out, we're going to have to come in there after you. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to see you try. You can never get over our giant world, Tiny Picker. Yes, Tiny Picker. You are not a mighty deer. You are just a baby gherkin. I'm a cucumber. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, My sluggie. Maybe we should fall back and regroup. Was that too heavy for you guys? Was that too serious? Just curious. How many of you guys have seen that VeggieTales before? How many of you have seen it in your life way more times than you want to admit out loud? Okay, a few hands. Okay. Uh, I, I just—it's I, one of my favorite ones. The, the tie between that and. Uh, What's the one, David and the giant pickle, right? Isn't that the one with David and Goliath? Anyway, I love that one. And I wanted to show that just to kind of bring a little fun to it, have a little fun with it. But I, I, I want to look at the real story of Joshua and the battle of Jericho. And I want to look at what God's word says about this idea of how did God give victory to Joshua and the Israelites over the city of Jericho? Because as was so clearly stated in the video, they have a big wall. And so how does Joshua receive victory over this? And I know this is a familiar story. Again, I know many of us have seen that depicted in many different ways. But I want us to come to this scripture this morning, and I want us to look at it with fresh eyes. I want us to step back, and I want us to read this story and understand the story, uh, not in a familiar way to the sense of robbing us of that wonderful time when God can open our eyes to his word and remind us of his truth, remind us of his power. And so I want to start by looking at this text, but I want to ask you, let's look at it with fresh eyes. Let's ask God to show us what is going on here and help us to grow in our faith, that we might be strong and courageous in our faith. And so Joshua chapter 5, You can turn there with me, Joshua chapter 5. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, there are Bibles in the seats there. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can just turn to page 169. 169, if you're using a Bible that's provided, Joshua chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 13. We're starting a little bit before uh, the, the main kind of crux of the story. And I want to set the story up with what we see happening here and how Joshua was able to have victory over Jericho. So Joshua chapter 5, and look at verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as a captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? Let's pray and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy that meets us here this morning. We thank you for the worship that we've been able to experience. To be able to lift you up and to praise you and praise the power of your salvation. Lord, as we dive into this familiar text, I pray that you would... Allow us to see this with new eyes, Lord, it's not wrong to be familiar with the word of God. It's a great heritage and a blessing to be familiar through parents and grandparents that instructed us or through growing up in the church and hearing these familiar stories. And so, Lord, it's not that that's a bad thing, but I think the danger in being too familiar with the text, too familiar with God's word, is that we read it and we just have this mindset of, I've read that before, I know what it says I've got it memorized, I know the story, and we almost disengage from the text. But I pray by the working of your Holy Spirit that we would not do that. That we would allow your Spirit to open our hearts and to open our minds, that we might both respond emotionally and intellectually to the Word of God. That we might see how you could apply this by the working again of your Spirit into our lives today. And Father, I, I genuinely believe because I just know that, that as human beings, we all struggle with this. I believe there's some strongholds in the lives of those listening today, whether it be online or in person. There's some things that just seem impossible to overcome. And that humanly speaking, we would look at these situations and instantly believe that there's no way we can overcome. We could never get victory but I pray that by reading this story, being again encouraged through your word, that our faith would be strengthened, that we would realize the story is not about us. The story is about you and what you can do, but I pray that we would realize that you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever, and that if you can give victory to Joshua and Israel for your glory, I believe that you can give victory to us today as followers of Christ. And so, Father, again, we We give this time to you and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do the work that needs to be done. Convict those that need convicting, encourage those that need to be encouraged. And thank you for doing the work. We don't have to convince you or con you into doing something today. You desire to open hearts, open minds that we might respond in worship, lifting up the name of Christ, which is above every other name. If there's anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you as their Lord and personal Savior, I pray that before they leave this place, they would confess and repent of their sins, turn and trust in Christ the Savior and allow you to be the Lord and Savior of their life as you are working on their hearts and minds right now. Thank you for your grace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here in this chapter 5 of Joshua, we see Joshua has an encounter with a man of power. Joshua has an encounter with a man of power. This is an unexpected visit. An unexpected visit. How does God give Joshua victory in the nation of Israel, victory over Jericho. Well, again, it starts with an unexpected visit. Go to chapter 6, and let's look at verses 1 and 2. Actually, we'll start in verse 15 of chapter 5, and then we'll read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6. And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. And Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. Now we know why that's the case, because we talked about this with the story of Rahab. Remember when Rahab met the two spies? Again, I want to have to point out, Joshua learned from the example of Moses. We don't send 12 spies in, two will do, right? We don't need 12, two will do. And so he sends in these two spies and they meet Rahab. And what did Rahab said? The testimony of God's people began to be spread throughout the land. And she actually says, the men of courage, the men in our city, the valiant men are basically weak. They've grown weak. They're, they're soft because they're just scared of your God. There's no confidence in them. There's no courage in them. And so why then is the city shut up? Why is it so guarded? Because they know sooner or later Israel's coming. And we have to do our best to protect ourselves. But they are ultimately scared. I can almost imagine them shaking behind this giant wall. So fearful of what God was going to do when they heard testimony of what God had done. Verse 2 of chapter 6. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thy hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. This is a powerful point we must note. This man of power... That approaches Joshua, that is intimidating to look upon. He declares to Joshua, I have given them into your hand. I've already done the work. It's already established this is going to happen. So this unexpected visit comes from a man of power. Now this man that we see depicted here in chapter 5, he's an intimidating figure. He's someone that is causing Joshua to question, are you for Jericho or are you for Israel? Are you an enemy? Are you an adversary? Are you on their side? Are you one of the surrounding nations that maybe you're for them? Or are you for us? Now, I love what the man says. He says, no, I'm above all that. I'm for God. I'm for the Lord's will. I'm for what God is going to do. And in essence, he's saying, I'm for Israel. And so here we see again, this, this man comes. And how does he come? He comes with sword drawn, sword drawn. Now, this is a posture of war, a posture of aggression. And again, this is why Joshua got fearful in that moment. Not fearful as though God couldn't deliver him, but concerned, maybe is a better word. Who's this guy for? Because he's got his sword out. That means he wants to fight. He wants to throw down and he's ready to go. So who's this guy for? Whose side is he on? Now, we have to stop here and note that this man comes as an angel of the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, we see that term mentioned often. Uh, there's a couple different opinions here. Some will tell you that this individual is just merely an angel like Gabriel or any other angel that is sent as a messenger. The word angel really could be translated messenger or one who delivers a message. We see that with when when Mary receives the message of salvation, the message of the gospel, that Jesus Christ would be born unto her. There was a message delivered. But here, this angel of the Lord, there's some unique characteristics about this visit that some have suggested, and I agree with, that this is actually a pre-incarnate Christ. This is a manifestation of Jesus Christ before he became incarnate, which means to take on flesh. So before he was born of a virgin, we know that Jesus existed from the beginning with God, right? There, he didn't come into existence. That is carnation, incarnation. He came with God. He was in the beginning, right? John 1, 1. In the beginning, God, right? Word was with God. So here we understand that God and this angel, this image of God is the same as far as divine. And we know that because this messenger receives worship from Joshua. The Bible says that Joshua fell down and worshiped him. Now we know from scripture, the only one that is worthy and receiving of worship is God. And we see this in the new Testament. Remember when, when Paul was ministering and they began to worship him and he rent his clothes and he tore his clothes and he said, no, 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 you do not worship me. I'm just like you. Even angels don't receive worship. Only God receives worship. Also note that when he appears before him, he says, take off your shoes because this is holy ground. Now, this should draw our minds instantly to Moses and the burning bush in Exodus. When God spoke from the burning bush, it was holy ground. And we need to understand that this person says the same thing. So in my mind, and in agreement with many others, this is most likely a pre-incarnate Christ. Now, that's important to note because how does this man appear? This man appears ready to fight. This man appears as a warrior. And I think we need to reevaluate how we view Jesus. Because so many of us, we picture Jesus as the Sunday school flannel graph Jesus. You guys know what I mean. The very pale skinned, European brown hair, blue eyed, right? I don't know how somebody from the Middle East looks like they're from Finland, but okay, I guess... That's just how we're doing it, right? That's, that's, we think of that Jesus, you know, that maybe hung on the wall of your grandma's house. That's just an image. We don't really know what Jesus looked like, by the way. We don't have a picture of Jesus in scripture, meaning no one drew. John didn't write that. Let me show you what Jesus looked like. But here we see this image of Jesus and it's so kind of permeated our thinking that we think of Jesus as weak, We read about Jesus being the shepherd who loves his sheep. And he does. Praise God he does. Amen. He is the the shepherd, John 10. He is the one that loves his sheep and cares for his sheep. But don't forget the same Jesus that is a tender and loving and careful shepherd to guard or to watch over his sheep is the same shepherd that guards his sheep from the wolves. He is not weak. He is not timid. When you read of Jesus in Scripture, in the Old Testament, as the angel of the Lord, when he comes in these ways, and also in the book of Revelation, you're going to find a very different Jesus than you maybe imagined Jesus to be. How does John describe Jesus in the book of Revelation? Eyes of fire. He comes on a horse ready to war and to make war. A sword prepared to strike down his enemies. This is why this image here should fit perfectly with how we see Jesus. Because he's declaring to Joshua, I'm going to do this thing. It's already established. They are already delivered into your hand. And so why did he appear to Joshua this way? Why did he come and even reveal himself to Joshua in this way before the battle of Jericho? Well, the truth is to strengthen Joshua's faith. You see, Joshua had an unexpected visit from a man of power to strengthen his faith. To strengthen the faith of Joshua. The truth is, and if we can all be honest for just a moment, we all need to be encouraged in this life in our faith. Amen? It is tiresome living in this world, is it not? I mean, we. amen. I I could hear in that, yes, I could hear that weariness. Not only do we battle the world and the world system. Now remember, again, your neighbors that don't know Christ, they're not your, your enemy. That person on the other side of the aisle from you politically, not your enemy. That person that says things against God, that claims there is no God, that speaks things against your God, not your enemy. The Bible makes it very clear that we have three adversaries in this life the world, meaning the world's way of thinking and living and being driven with the desires of the world, that that mindset is an enemy to the things of Christ. Your flesh, by the way, is an enemy. As an adversary. James 1. Man, we love to blame Satan for stuff that we get ourselves into. The Bible says that that's in you. Yes, we're going to talk about it in a second. We have another, another adversary that baits the hook, but you bite the hook. Because your flesh wants that. And then we have Satan. And he wars against us and he sets up opportunities and environments for us to be trapped and ensnared. And we heard an amazing devotion yesterday from Pastor Nathan about how to guard against those things. Right? To keep our mindset on the things of God. Not to stray, not to get off course, not to get distracted, right? To stay focused on the things of Him, the things of Christ. And it's so tiring in this world because I feel like every day we're warring against one or all of those things, right? It's everywhere. So we all need encouragement in our faith. But unfortunately, as believers, when we feel that that faith start to grow a little weak, We start to actually let the enemy, the flesh, speak into our lives and tell us that we're not good Christians. We're horrible Christians. And you know what? If you were a real Christian, you'd have better faith. And you wouldn't doubt God. And you wouldn't question this. And so you know what? You just need to stay home. You don't need to go to church. They don't want you anyway because you're not a good enough Christian because you don't, you struggle with questions and you have all these doubts. Isn't it amazing how when we grow weak in our faith that the very thing that we should be running to, our flesh tells us to run away from. Prayer. We should be falling on our face, asking God to strengthen our faith, but we beat ourselves up and say, well, I'm not good enough and God doesn't want to hear from me. Time in his word, and yet we deny the word of God because we feel as though God doesn't want me to spend time in his word because I'm not who he says I should be. I'm not where I need to be. See, we all need to be encouraged in this life, in our faith. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. We all need encouragement in our faith. This is honestly why the church is so vital for us to grow strong and courageous in our faith. The gathering together of the body of Christ. The author of Hebrews was clear in the importance of assembling together. If you're taking notes, and I pray that you are able to take some notes or get notes later, but Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25, a very famous, popular passage in Hebrews. But in that text, the author of Hebrews encourages us and even in some ways, commends us, challenges us to hold fast to that profession of our faith, provoking one another unto love and good works, exhorting one another, and not just occasionally or once a week, but the author of Hebrews says, so much the more as you see the day approaching. And I think as we look at our world today, we see all that's going on around us. So we could say, man, the day is approaching. He is coming again and he will return one day. And I believe we are ever so close to that day. And so as we see all this going on, what do we do? We come together as the body of Christ. Why? To grope and complain about what's going on in the world? No, 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 no. And we come together to encourage each other to say, listen, I know it's tough. I know it's hard, but you can do this Christ in you. You can get through that because of Christ in you. And this is how God got me through that. And this is how God answered this prayer. And this is how we can pray for one another. We can provoke one another to love and good works. We can encourage one another in our faith to hold fast to the profession of our faith. And all of these things are extended to the church, to the body of Christ. And this is why in our church culture today, You maybe have heard this, but I've heard so many people say, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And that's absolutely true. This is not a law thing. You don't have to check off the attendance box so many times and then you're in. Salvation is a gift of grace through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. When you receive his gospel, repenting of your sins and trusting in Christ, you are saved forever and ever, sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. What we do for God does not keep our salvation. What he has done for us keeps our salvation. So then why do we gather? To check a religious box, to impress the people around us, to feel better about ourselves because now we're being spiritual? No, 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 no. We gather together because it's vitally what we need. So why did this man of power appear to Joshua to strengthen his faith? You see, the truth is God has given us his spirit, his word, and his church to strengthen our faith that we might live in the day and age he's planted us for his glory and his praise. Not to be overcome by the wiles of the devil or the stresses of the world, but to stand victorious not on our good works or our goodwill or our abilities and talents, but on his name for his glory by his grace. So we see an unexpected visit strengthened the faith of Joshua. Secondly, I want to look at an unexpected strategy. This is where the part of the story gets very familiar. Unexpected strategy. Now, we're not going to read all of this encounter. Obviously, there's much here, and for time's sake, we want to pick out those parts that really speak to the key point of the passage, but I encourage you to read all of chapter 6. Again, as we mentioned before, maybe you would even begin reading through the book of Joshua on your own. Uh, This sermon series came out of a time where uh, a few months ago I felt God just laying Joshua on my heart. And so in my morning reading, I was just reading through Joshua chapter by chapter. Um, And I'll encourage you, if you don't have a devotional plan that you're following, or a devotional book, um, just literally take a book of the Bible and just get a notebook next to you, a little pad of paper, and just start reading through a chapter and just make observations. Just write down what's happening in the text and then pray, Holy Spirit, give me wisdom that I might be able to apply this to my life. And then maybe you'll go a little farther and you'll get some resources like a study Bible or a commentary or something that might bring a little more understanding to the text. And next thing you know, you'll, by the end of a month or maybe a little more, have finished an entire book of the Bible and you would have grown more than you can imagine. And then you'll, the spirit of God will remind you, you can do this again. And maybe you move to a next book. And I'm not saying you got to go in order all the way through all the books of the Bible. But maybe you would just begin to try to set this discipline of just 15 minutes a morning. I promise you. I know we're coming up towards the end of the year. If you make a commitment 15 minutes a morning to read the Word of God, watch how the Spirit of God changes your life in six months, in a year, I promise you, your mindset will begin to change. Your attitude will begin to change. The way you look at other people will begin to change. And it's not this, well, I did this, God, so you do that thing. It's as you grow in Christ, he'll begin to change you and conform you into the image of Christ. And so maybe tomorrow, maybe Monday morning, you're going to say, you know what, Lord? 15 minutes a morning. I'm going to commit that to you. I'm just going to read the word of God for 15 minutes. Maybe you don't get through a whole chapter. That's fine. But just commit to that time. And I promise you, God will do great things In your life, not necessarily things you'll see right away, but it'll change attitudes. It'll change mindsets, your heart, and other people will begin to notice the difference that God is making in you for his praise. Let's look at chapter 6, verse 3. So we see the unexpected visit. Now we see the unexpected strategy. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times. And the priest shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city shall fall down flat. And the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. So here's the plan. Walk around the city once a day for six days. Seventh day. Go around the city seven times. Blow some trumpets and some horns and everything's going to fall on the ground. Sit. That's the plan. And if I was Joshua, by the way, we should all be thankful I'm not Joshua. Because if I was Joshua, I'd be taking notes. Uh-huh. Okay. So day. Okay. Six day. Okay. Uh-huh. Wait. So uh, seven times. Okay. And then fall down flat. And? I must have missed something here because all I'm seeing us doing is walking and blowing on some horns, right? And any and all trumpet players, of course, love this passage because they're just like, that's the power of trumpets, baby. That's what we do. I know my son loves that idea that, you know, he's a trumpet player. So he's like, oh, it's us. We have power. I'm like, okay. Um, Whatever you say. But so here we see this plan. This is an unexpected strategy. I guarantee you never before or never after the generals sit in a room, Hey, we got this enemy force. We got to overtake them. We got we to overcome their city. What do you guys think? And some guy in the back raises his hand. Yeah, Bill. I don't know why his name's Bill. I'm going with Bill. Bill, I got an idea. Let's walk around the city. Walk around their, their fort once a day for six days, then seven times the seventh day, and then blow some horns. I bet it'll work. I read it in a book once. I think it'll work. Do you think the generals are like, that's a great idea, Bill. Get up here. You should be leading us. I I imagine they weren't real happy with Bill. They're like, Bill, go find something else to do. You're in the wrong line of work, right? You got to find a different job, different career. But here we see this unexpected strategy of literally keep walking and walking and walking. I always think of Nemo, right? Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep, just keep walking. And on the third day they get up. Hey, Joshua, what are we going to do today? Well, we're going to walk guys. We're going to do some walking again. Get our steps in, all right? We're going to get some walks. Okay, fifth day. What do we do? Let me guess. We're walking again. Yeah, we're walking. Get up. Let's go. And I can only imagine how the people responded when Joshua relayed the strategy from God to the people. So, So Joshua gets it. He goes, okay, I'm good with this. He goes to the nation of Israel. He's relaying the plan. You can't tell me there weren't some guys in the back that were like, I don't know about this. I don't think this is a great idea. But we must pause and note that before the strategy was revealed, that we see a national commitment to the covenant that God laid forth. So in Joshua, and we're not going to turn there, but for Joshua chapter 4 and chapter 5, I want you to jot that down. I want you to go back. I want you to read those two chapters again. Because what you're going to find is in Joshua 4 and Joshua 5, you're going to see the children of Israel crossing over the Jordan by the mighty hand of God, by the faithful hand of God, providing for them again. And then you're going to see the nation decides to be in line with and keep the covenant and the sign of the covenant given to Abraham in Genesis 17. So before the strategy was revealed, before the plan was made known, the nation of Israel crosses over the Jordan, sees God's mighty hand, do things they can't imagine. Remember, their ancestors saw that with the Red Sea. And so God shows them this new generation. Remember the other generation, they weren't faithful. So God is saying, I'm going to show you this generation. This is what I can do if you'll just trust. This is what I can do if it's my will. And he does this amazing sign, this amazing wonder. And then the nation says in agreement with the covenant of God, we're going to follow through on the sign of the covenant. And it's only after all of this, all of this takes place. And now God says, now this is what you're going to do. Do you see how God prepared their faith and then showed them the plan? And I guarantee you, had God revealed the plan before the crossing of Jordan, there would have been a lot of more Israelites that would have just been like, I don't know about this. All of this, all of this preparation leads to them stepping out in faith and trusting the word of the Lord. That's really what faith is. It's trusting in the word of the Lord when everything else says not to. Amen? What was Adam and Eve's problem? Oh, they ate some fruit. Eating the fruit wasn't the sin. We need to understand this. Eating the fruit was not the sin. Eating the fruit was the fruit of sin. What was the sin when Eve replaced the word of God with the word of the serpent? When Eve stopped trusting in the word of God and started listening to the word of the serpent and said, hey, that tree's going to make me wise. Well, that wasn't God's word. That was the serpent's word. So she believed the word of the serpent over the word of the Savior. And as a result, sin entered in. And so what do we see here? It's the same idea. We need to trust in the word of the Lord. They are literally going to walk by faith, not by sight. I love that. I love that the New Testament puts into print what we see exampled and demonstrated in the Old Testament. That we walk by faith and not by sight. As they journey around this city every day, they're reminded of the power of God. I believe they were worshiping God every single day. Just praising God. I do believe, and we showed you that VeggieTales more because I just wanted an excuse to show VeggieTales in church on a Sunday morning with adults. But I'll I'll take advantage of that every single time. But as you see this type of taking place, you, in the, in the veggie Tales, they're dumping Slurpees, remember? And they're getting them all covered with Slurpees, and they're persecuting them and making fun of them. I believe, I, I don't have scripture, so I believe the people of Jericho were maybe laughing at the Israelites a little bit. Kind of like they laughed at Noah until that first raindrop fell. Oh, you guys are so foolish. Oh, you're so silly. And the minute they heard that first crack in the wall, could you imagine you're standing on the wall. You're guarding the city. And all of a sudden, you hear that wall start to crack. And you feel that little shake in the ground. All of a sudden, these foolish Israelites who are trusting in their foolish God become very, very wise. And all of a sudden, fear begins to take you over while courage takes them over. And all of a sudden, now they begin to stand strong in the face of adversity. Remember, victory comes through faith in God and obedience to his word. We walk by faith not by sight. You see, they're walking by faith under the mighty hand of God with an unexpected strategy produced an expected outcome. It was an unexpected strategy, but it produced an expected outcome. Go to chapter 6, verses 15 through 20 as we prepare to close. Chapter 6, verses 15 through 20. And it came to pass on the seventh day They rose early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day, they compassed the city seven times. And it came to pass the seventh time when the priests blew the trumpets. Joshua said unto the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And I love this. The wall's not on the ground yet. Right? And the wall's still standing. But they fulfilled the word of God. They were obedient to what God said. And by faith, Joshua knew, I don't have to see the wall fall to know the wall's going to fall. Because God told me it's going to happen. And so here we see, he says to them, this is going to happen. Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city shall be accursed, even it, even it and all there, that are therein. And the Lord, only Rahab, the harlot, shall live She and all that are with her in her house because she hid the messengers that were sent. We talked about that last week. This is a covenant that was made between the spies and Rahab that anyone in Rahab's house would be spared. It says here in verse 18, And you and any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest you make yourselves accursed when you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. Chapter 7 is going to tell us the story about a man that just couldn't give or just could not resist temptation. Just gave in to temptation, and it cost him dearly. Look at verse 19. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city this is not a fictional fairy tale story. This is not Cinderella. This is not the seven dwarves. This is history. This happened. And it happened because our God is the God that he's always claimed to be a powerful and mighty God that can overcome any stronghold, no matter how strong it may seem to those looking on. He is God. Joshua and the children of Israel had faith that the plan would produce the victory that God had promised, even though the means was not what he would have expected. Again, can you imagine the joy and the praise that erupted from the Israelites the moment they hear the wall begin to crack? The reality is we serve and worship a God that delights in tearing down strongholds. You can t- jot this down. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. We serve a God who delights in tearing down strongholds. It brings him joy to tear down strongholds in our life. Why? Because he is a God who keeps his covenant for his glory and our blessing. I want to remind all of us that Jericho did not fall because Joshua was such a great leader or because the children of Israel willed it to happen. Jericho fell because the truth we read in Joshua 6, 2 and verse 27 Go back to Joshua 6, 2. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. Verse 27 of chapter 6. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was noised throughout all the country. And the Lord was with Joshua. The same Lord that said, I have done this already. It's already going to happen. You see, Joshua was not the reason Jericho fell. The walking around the city was not why the city fell. The Lord caused the city to fall. So that at the end of the day, they could say, we didn't do anything. And we walked around, but that wasn't really what did it. And we know that it's all for the glory of God. Yes, the fame of Joshua and the reputation of Israel was spreading, but greater than the fame of Israel was the fame of their God. So I want to close with this this morning as we prepare to have a time of invitation. I want to ask you, what strongholds in your life do you need to recognize as a stronghold and surrender for the Lord to tear down? What's a stronghold in your life that you've been refusing to recognize as a stronghold That you've been refusing to to recognize as a place of bondage for you. Maybe it's a sin issue that you find yourself fallen victim to. You just can't seem to have victory over. It just seems to keep coming back again and again and again. It's just a stronghold in your life. Maybe it's striving for the acceptance of others. I just have to get people to like me. I just have to get people to love me. I just want to, I'll do anything to be accepted. Maybe it's just fear of man in other ways. So what's the stronghold in your life that needs to be recognized and surrendered to the Lord? Because here's the truth of it. When you, by God's grace, take your hands off the thing and say, Lord, I'm done. He will tear it down. And he will tear it down and he will rebuild in its place a Christ likeness and a conformity to the things of Christ that you can't imagine. And I know what you're thinking, but pastor, I've prayed that prayer. I've tried that. I've tried that so many times. Well, here's the thing with with those strongholds. When you surrender it to the Lord, leave it in his hands. Get in his word. Grow in faithfulness to his word. Grow in faithfulness in prayer. Begin to look and lean into the things of Christ, not as a magic formula, but as a consistent way to grow in Christ so that he will strengthen your faith, strengthen you so that you will find yourself not sinless, meaning perfect, but you will sin less. And you will see victory over those things. But the enemy doesn't go away. The flesh remains. We're still in this world. There'll still be temptations. And so what do we do? We surrender every thought to him. And we say, Lord, I take that thought captive in your name that I might glorify you. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right there where you are. And as you begin to pray right there where you are, I gently want to ask you, with no one looking around, just between you and the Lord, What is that stronghold that needs to come down? What is that stronghold that is holding you captive? And it seems impossible. It seems overwhelming. But our God delights in tearing those walls down. And this morning, if you will surrender it to him and you will cry out to him, repent of that and turn from it, I truly believe that you will, maybe ever so slightly, you'll hear that wall start to crack. And you'll hear that wall start to shake. And you will declare before the things on the ground, My God has delivered me from this stronghold, that He has overcome. And so I want to ask you right there where you are, as a follower of Christ, what is that stronghold? Is it a sin issue? Is it fear of man wanting to be accepted? Is it pride? Is it arrogance? Is it just disobedience to God's word? You know he's called you to do something. You know that he's laid it before you with gifts and talents and abilities and opportunity and you're rejecting it because you're fearful of failing or fearful of not being good enough or you've just grown apathetic and you just don't care. Whatever it is, would you surrender today that stronghold and let him bring that thing down? Victory comes through faith in God and obedience to his word. Father, may you be glorified in all that has been said and done. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as their Lord and personal Savior, that they would come to know you before they leave this place, repenting of their sins, turning and trusting in you, receiving the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as payment for our sin, and and desiring with all that is in us to live a surrendered life to you. And so, Father, do this work, Holy Spirit, do this work in whatever way it needs to be applied. Father, may you be glorified as you tear down walls in our lives and that we would stand and say it's all by the grace and glory of God. Thank you, Father, for how you work in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we are led in a song of invitation? Would you come? You got a stronghold that needs to come down? Would you come and surrender? Would you come and bend a knee and say, Lord, I need you to tear this down in my life. I'm so tired of living in bondage to this thing. Whatever God is doing, would you come and... And just spend time within. Maybe here at the altar, there in your seats. Which